Rough Greens is our sponsor. How often uh, do things that are in that you do things that are in your dog's best interest? Right. I mean, all the time, all the time. You take him for a walk. You throw the ball with him. You give him the good boy scratches and the belly rub and everything else. You take your dog to the vet to make sure that they're healthy, even though it costs a fortune. Sometimes we do this because we love our dog. Feed your dog the best possible nutrition you can. Doesn't matter what you feed your dog in food, but this was discovered by naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black, and it is called Rough Greens. It is something you put on the dog's food, vitamins, minerals, probiotics, antioxidants, you name it. If it's healthy for your dog, it's in there. Try it out with your dog. You'll see what I mean. They'll love it. Roughgreens.com slash Beck. Go there now. R-U-F-F greens.com slash Beck. Or you can call 833-GLEN-33. Your first bag is uh, free. It's just a quick trial bag. Get it for free. You just pay for shipping. 833-GLEN-33. 833-G-L-E-N-N-33. Welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. I have wanted to talk to Neil Howe for I don't know how many years. Never, just never had the chance to do it. He has a new book out called The Fourth Turning is Here. The Fourth Turning is something that he wrote back in 97, I think, with William Strauss. It was an incredibly impactful uh, book. This is where you get the millennials, the millennial generation is from uh, Howen Strauss. Mr. Strauss has since passed on, uh, but we have his partner who has taken this now to the next level. He'll explain what the fourth turning is. It is a moment of crisis, but I think you're going to like the positivity and the possibilities that come out of that, historically speaking. Neil Howe joins us in 60 seconds. First Patriot Mobile is the only Christian conservative wireless provider for a decade now. Isn't that wild? A 10 years. One of the reasons I'm glad to partner with them as we build a parallel economy and just realize that it doesn't have to be this way. You know, can we just get some some companies that are not assaulting us all the time? Or can we get a company here or there just to not play the woke card every time they sit at the table well patriot mobile doesn't play that card at all they offer nationwide coverage giving you access to all three major networks which means you get the exact same coverage you're accustomed to because they're on the same cell towers but unlike the big mobile companies they're not sending your money to fund leftist causes and you switch to patriot mobile you will know that you support free speech, religious freedom, sanctity of life, Second Amendment, our military veterans, first responders, 
that's what they take some of their profits and put those things towards. So switching is really easy. Thanks to their 100% U.S.-based customer service team, you can keep your number, keep your phone, or upgrade, and they'll help you find the best plan for your needs. Just go to patriotmobile.com slash Beck or call 878-PATRIOT. 878-PATRIOT is the number to call free activation right now. Just make sure you use the promo code BECK, patriotmobile.com slash BECK or 878-PATRIOT. Neil, welcome to the program. I am a, a huge fan. Your your book, The uh, Fourth Turning, uh, made a huge impact in my life. Well, uh, thank you, Glenn. It's great to be on your show. Thank you. Um, so the fourth turning is here. I have been uh, been reading, um, and I uh, before we get to the fourth turning is here. Can you explain the turnings, if you will? Yeah, this was uh, something that Bill and I developed. Actually, we did an earlier book back in 1991 called Generations, and it was really looking at generations as the source of uh, a historical change, meaning. You know, generations are shaped differently. Uh, uh, you know, each generation is uniquely shaped by its childhood experiences and as it comes of age, right? It's experiences coming of age. And then about 30 or 40 years later, as parents and leaders, they in turn shape history, right? Right. And we, uh, generations is the first collective biography of America that anyone had ever written, that is to say, retelling the entire story of America as a sequence of generational biographies, right? In other words, following the same group of people throughout their entire life, and then starting with the next group of people. And what we found was that generations are very different. Uh, This has always been true. It's not just, you know, Xers and boomers, (laughs) or millennials and Xers. Uh, we're accustomed to today, or or boomers and their World War II parents, right? Right. Th- these differences have been with us since the founding, since the 17th century, and and what what occurred to us as we were writing that book is that this is the source of some of the uh, uh, otherwise unexplainable regularities in the rhythms of American history. I mean, for example, the fact that. We have these enormous periods of civic creative destruction when the entire country goes through a an upheaval of of you know politics and economics. We really redefine what our republic is, and this happens about the length of a long human life apart. Right? We had this period of, of, of revolution and rebellion in the late 17th century. Um, uh, kind of coinciding with the Glorious Revolution. And then about a lifetime later, we had the American Revolution. Then we had the Civil War. Then we had World War II and the Great Depression. And here we are again, Glenn. Uh, you know what I mean? This is like the ticking of a talk, you know, or a clock. And roughly halfway in between these upheavals in the outer world, when we redefine politics and economics and infrastructure and all that, we have these upheavals in the inner world, which very conveniently in American history, we, we number. So we call them the first great awakening, the second great awakening, and so forth. And this struck us as having very interesting generational roots, generational continuity, right? Because it's generations that come of age during an awakening that later in old age usually take America into the next crisis, and generations which... Mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, come of age 
during a crisis, usually preside over the next awakening later in life. And um, and this has been true since, uh, uh, you know, Ralph Waldo Emerson and and uh, and and uh, Walt Whitman. Uh, a generation of prophets and religion founders and, and, and you know, commune leaders and right. who, who took us into the Civil War. And it, it was true for the generation born just after the Civil War, who, who took us really were the wise old men and women of the World War II era. But it, it suggests a, um, a rhythm, uh, and that's what we wanted to write about. Now, this rhythm has four phases. It's kind of like seasons of the year. If you look at the uh, the spring season, this is the period in which, in, you know, institutions are strong, individualism is weak. Uh, and this is the what we in, in recently in American history, we, we, we all recall the American high. This was after World War Two, right? Mm-hmm. This was the presidencies of Truman and Eisenhower and John Kennedy. Uh, society had a very definite idea of where it wanted to go collectively. But as individuals, we were very modest, right, about what we wanted. It was, as as William White wrote in The Organization Man, people had a strong social ethic. The duty of each individual is to fit in. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do, right? Each person had a job to do uh, based on gender, based on, you know, your 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 aptitude for a different kind of profession. And that was it. You You didn't have much aspirations beyond that. We were modest individually, but the nation did incredible things collectively. I mean, everything from interstate highways to launching the the uh, Apollo uh, moon launch program. I mean, you know, and and we managed to to we managed to uh, balance the budget every year, right? While while feeding the world and um, <laughs> presiding over that period of, of of growing global order and prosperity, the the second turning was the awakening, and that was the period that many listeners probably remember, maybe as kids. This was the, you know, 60s, 70s, early 80s, and this was a period when all of America wanted to throw off all that social obligation, all that conformity, all those rules. And this started really with, um, started more on the left. There's no question about that, mainly in the culture, uh, throwing off, uh, you know, patriarchy and, and military uh, 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 conscription and all the rest. And and it ended, I think, a little bit more on the conservative side, you know, throwing out regulations, cutting taxes and all the rest. And and so, but, but the one theme was we wanted to be a less ordered society. We wanted individuals to kind of go more their own way. And uh, the, the biggest nightmare for boomers at that time was the oppressive middle class, right? Pleasant Valley Sunday. That was their worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. And you talk to millennials today, it's like middle class. Sounds like a great idea. Where do we sign up? <laughs> it, you, you see the difference, right? And 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 then you have the third turning, which is uh, we call an unraveling, and that's in many ways the opposite of a high. Individualism is strong and flourishing. Institutions are weak and discredited. And when we think of paradigmatic decades of, a, of an unraveling. We think of the, the roaring 90s and the 1990s. We also mm-hmm. think of the roaring 20s, uh, the 1850s, the 1760s. These were all decades of cynicism and bad manners, uh, acting out in the culture, disrespecting authority. And in general, um, my, my kind of the 
the the key book of the 1990s to me was Francis Fukuyama. You remember the end of history? Yeah. We were all, yeah, the government was going to fade away. We would all be uh, individuals living wherever in the world we wanted. I guess, you know, on our laptops in a Starbucks somewhere, just contracting with each other and, and enjoying infinite possibilities, right? We wouldn't have families. We wouldn't have roots. We wouldn't have, right? right? That was the image, right, of, of, a, of, a, of a world of individuals uh, that wouldn't need anything. And so individualism, totally triumphant, no institution or community left. But history shows us that third turnings inevitably lead to fourth turnings. And that's when instead of wanting to uh, rebel against order, society wants more order. And that's what we're living into today. And the, the cutting edge generation for the, the awakening was boomers, but the cutting edge generation now is millennials and they want a more ordered life. I mean, you see it. They, they want more community. Their greatest fear is loneliness. It's FOMO. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, and and uh, the way they invest is crowd investing. I mean, they're all in these uh, huge, you know, uh, everything ETFs, right? So right. the market goes up or down. They all go down, up and down together. Um, and and the entire world is being buffeted by this. And we see this in these new populist movements around the world, often overtly authoritarian because people want authority back again. It's as simple as that. Um, and we've seen this before. And we're seeing it again. And so the purpose of, as you know, the purpose of my writing the book is to is to take this up to date, to bring it up to today. Right. Right. Um, and uh, and to hypothesize a little bit on where we're going and what the schedule is and, you okay. know, what, what we expect. OK, so, um, you know, there's there's three theories out there that I have kind of melded into one yours and i don't know if you've uh read uh michael drew's work uh pendulum how past generations shape our present and predict our future he describes it as a pendulum uh and describes much of what you you guys worked out um but he he shows it's an 80-year cycle you're showing it's an 80-year cycle and then the the third theory that i've always found interesting is the kondraki of wave which is also an 80-year cycle and yeah. and it's all spring, uh, summer. The arrogance of summer—it's never going to end into uh, fall. You know, hey, let's deny this, deny this, deny this. Oh, it looks like everything is dying to winter, and then the green shoots again of of spring. And we are, if I understand, we are now heading into winter. Correct. Is, yeah, we're 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 well into winter. Well um, into winter. I think, yeah, I mean, we we started. Uh, I think we we entered this era. I mean, these are eras. These are generation long eras. So these are you know twenty two years or so, right? right. And so, and we entered it with two thousand and eight, the global correct. financial crisis, when we saw so many things begin to change. We saw democracies decline at the expense of authoritarian governments. We saw global trade begin to decline as a share of global product. I mean, in many ways, it was analogous to 1929, right? Which is also a great global, you know, financial collapse, right? So and but, we, we've, we've seen that, but we still have a ways to go. Right. And, you know, when Kondrakiev, who was uh, uh, Stalin's economic advisor, when he was asked, what's better, capitalism, communism, he said, it's, 
it's seasonal and uh, you look at things and in capitalism is better because communism when it starts to go cold into winter the system props everything up and so the system falls apart in the end it can't prop up life it's got to go in through these cycles um and we're doing that since 2008 we're propping everything up so it doesn't go into a hard freeze but we've bastardized everything and i'm i'm wondering do they always have to end in like war well typically they have um you know every every total war in american history has occurred during a fourth turning and every fourth turning has had a total war that's <laughs> a pretty close correspondence i i would say it it you know i i don't like to be a pessimist so i like to say what it what it precisely requires is not so much war. What it requires is um, collective mobilization uh, on a mass scale. And it's really hard to see how you do that other than sort of organized conflict. But what happens typically is that as society begins to reseek order, it begins to collectivize again. Today we see in America, blue zone, red zone, right? I mean, th- th- this new tribal mentality. Mm-hmm. This is what during the 1930s. Half of America thought that the 1930s was the red decade. The other half thought it was the fascist decade. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. I mean, these are the people said that, you know, Franklin, Stalin, Roosevelt, right? As right. A, well, and, and, and we have the new movie Oppenheimer out. So we, we, we now realize how many of the, the greatest generation as, as young men and women in the early 20s were, were communists. Right. <laughs> and so, he's the best in the bright. So let me take a one minute break here and and then let's come back to um, uh, where we are as as a country and as a people and what's headed our way in 60 seconds. American financing. American Financing, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Been telling you about uh, American financing for about 10 years now. They've been around twice that amount. I started talking to them before 2008. They wanted me to do commercials for them. And I said, I'm not doing any commercials for any home loan organization. They're like, no, no, no. We're not like those others. That's why we're calling you. And I said, yeah, well, we'll see after the collapse. And about a year later, it collapsed and American financing was fine. And so were the people. Um, I, I, I want you to know that American financing is a differently run operation. It is family owned, operated, kind of has that small family kind of uh, take to it and are not just trying to get your business. They want to make sure that it's right for you, because if it's right for you, it'll be right for them. Over 2000 of my listeners have called them just this year to help them save money. Small number of those didn't actually have the credit score to qualify, and American Financing ran them through their credit care program, which is free and helps boost people's credit score. What can they do for you? One way to find out, call American Financing, 800-906-2440, 800-906-2440, or go to AmericanFinancing.net. 10 seconds, station ID. So one thing before we go on to where we're headed, it is interesting to me that America 
uh, has had these turnings uh, along with all of the West, uh, for instance, American Revolution, the French Revolution, uh, World War, uh, World War Two was the same, uh, you know, same thing that was happening over in Germany was happening over here. Uh, we had different results, but um, there's the we generation and the me generation. And these things generally happen, do they not, in the we generation? When yeah, we're, well, all, we're all collective. Yeah, we generations are, 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 are made, not born, right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, and that, that's the important part. Um, so how do, we lot- av- how do we avoid what, uh, how do we avoid going in when we have a collective mindset going into something very un-American, you know, this has been a struggle since the beginning, uh, every time, because America is, by, by its culture and by its heritage, a individualist kind of, uh, right. you know, uh, society. And war has been difficult for that reason. It was difficult for the revolutionaries. Uh, you know, uh, George Washington uh, implored uh, again and again, you know, that that, that Congress should then that authorize him for this for this great continental army he needed to to fight the British. And of course, there were a lot of uh, foot draggers and people that didn't want to do that. Similarly, in the Civil War. Similarly, in 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 World War II, uh, uh, it was Roosevelt was very slow to be able to actually enact conscription. Correct. And and we came very late to the table uh, to the, the the fight against fascism, um, and and so it it is a problem. And and fourth turnings by their very nature of of collective mobilization put democracy to the test. Right. But we're already seeing it today in America. Yeah. Right? So. With all of the things that are happening now, I've learned so much from you, I I think, on what the role of people my age is supposed to be. Um, And I'd like you to take us through um, what's what's coming and what each of us in our generations need to do and and show us the hero generation that is coming, because I think that is. Uh, really heartening and when you have that understanding of what is coming with the hero generation it takes some pressure off except you have a role to play as well the glenn back program if you're waking up every day frustrated that you're going to have to face yet another day of hurting pain is your body's way of letting you know something is wrong and most of the time uh, it's trying to tell you that you've got inflammation in your joints. You have inflammation in your body. It's it's why we get sick. It's why we have pain. Inflammation is really bad. You can find ways to mask the pain, but that doesn't work out all too well sometimes. Uh, sometimes you just wake up with the mask and you still feel the pain. But you just don't care enough. The other option is fighting it, fighting your pain and fighting it wisely. By reducing the inflammation in your body, 
three-week quick start of Relief Factor may be your solution. It's 1995. It's a trial pack, not a drug developed by doctors, however, to relieve inflammation. More than a million people have bought Relief Factor's quick start. 70% of them go on to order more month after month. I'm one of them. ReliefFactor.com. 800, the number four, relief. 800, the number four, relief. It's ReliefFactor.com. Relief Factor. Feel the difference. Make sure to subscribe to Blaze TV. Go to blazetv.com slash Glenn. Right now you save 10 bucks with the promo code Glenn. Author Neil Howe and historian Neil Howe uh, joining us again. He is the author of The Fourth Turning is Here, a recent bestseller. It is out and available, and I highly recommend uh, you read it. Neil, tell us what's coming and how best to prepare and and what our roles are. Well, what's coming is uh, the 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 climax. You know, uh, we've been in this period where tribal loyalties are deepening. Uh, America's relationships with certain other parts of the world are fraying. Uh, fears of American breakup and even the possibility of civil conflict is rising. And and history suggests that that should climax sometime in the next decade. We think this period will be over and a new first turning will begin by the early 2030s, right? So that gives us about a decade. And I think what, what you asked was the different roles generations will play, which is very interesting. I mean, typically what we call the prophet archetype, which is the aging, uh, you know, generation that comes of age during the awakening Mm -hmm. is typically, uh, as it was for Abraham Lincoln's generation, is a generation which is very dominant in the culture all their lives, as boomers have been. Um, You know, I I can't think of a millennial who doesn't know 60s and 70s music really, really well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for many of us boomers, uh, we had we didn't have a clue about our parents' music. We couldn't care less. You know what right, I mean? Um, right. And that sense of cultural dominance that boomers have always had. Younger generations at this time of crisis will look to boomers for that cultural uh, continuity. In other words, where what is America? How do we get back to what it was? And we often call this generation the producer of the great champions in history. You know, those leaders that galvanize all generations to behave for the common good. The generation beneath that, um, the generation X, you know, those who came of age in the, in the, in the eighties and nineties, um, this would be the generation that's going to be squarely in midlife, right? They're going to be the, 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 the generals, the admirals, they'll be the on, they'll be, they'll be on the scene leaders actually practically determining how the, how whether the fourth turning ends well or ends badly and they will be decisive they will be as decisive in determining how it ends as omar bradley and george Patton and uh you know ridgeway and 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 dwight eisenhower were in determining how you know that crisis ended right so they will be they will have the critical role and it's interesting because so many gen xers coming of age thought that they were, you know, had no purpose. They were kind of out there at the end of history and <laughs> they were a useless generation. I, can, and it turns out, can I tell you, I, I have felt in the shadow of the hippies my whole life, like the hippies just 
have screwed everything up and were constantly sweeping up after their mess. And it now seems like, you know, you're talking about the the profit generation. The profit generation has always let go at some point. These guys, at least in the ruling class, are just hanging on till way beyond their ability to do anything. And it's like, when will the hippies let go? When will they let go? When will the hippies let go? Indeed, and, and of course they're getting older and older, aren't they, Glenn? Right. So, um, but but they do let go, and and that's when the energies are released, right? And suddenly the Xers, which are a generation of survivalist pragmatists, uh, don't trust anything, but they know how to build stuff, right? And they know mm-hmm. how to get stuff done. And interestingly enough, from their individualism, which they fostered in their you know a home alone childhood, they become leaders of a new community. And that becomes very interesting trans transition for them, right? Because they become those who kind of lead America into a new era of, of close community of, of national community. And then of course the millennial generation, the, the sheltered special kids, right? As the GI generation was early in life, I mean, the GI generation was the first Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, and they were, you know, sheltered by the progressive movement and uh, as, as kids, and they, they came of age to fight World War II. Millennials will have the same transition, and they will transition into a generation that will be collectively the hero generation. And, of course, that will be their rite of passage. That will be their transformation. It will turn a generation of... of uh, you know, Oppenheimer's, right? We were talking earlier about that movie, but a generation which was filled with uh, uh, radicals and didn't know which direction to go uh, back in the 1930s to a generation, the majority of whom became the cornerstone of the American high, obviously, mm-hmm. in the late 40s and 50s. Um, and they were the founders of everything from suburbia to, uh, to the... Uh, uh, to to the you know kind of the the black and white Ed Sullivan culture right. that everyone remembers, sort of the stolid establishment that uh, that boomers later rebelled from, and that that actually takes us into our description late in the book of what the next first turning will be like, right? Very different from what we're experiencing today. But as as if you would look forward from the late thirties, who would have ever imagined the nineteen fifties? I mean, that would have been science fiction sure right so are you so you're optimistic that we that we make because uh, it's totally it's optimistic. i think you know people sometimes say fourth turning it sounds like end of the world and all this and i say yes it's a t- extremely challenging time and it's and it is a time of struggle and it's a time of trial but the, the only thing worse than a fourth turning is not having a fourth turning. Yes. imagine the Trends today continuing to just deepen. Yeah, you know the sense of rootlessness, the sense of uh, uh, disempowerment by those who are poor and less educated, the sense of uh, loss of community in America. Imagine that just extends in depth. I can't imagine a worse future than that, Glenn. Well, isn't that kind of what happened in in uh, communist Russia? I mean, it was just a continuation. Uh, it never got any. It never got any better. Um, you know, I, I 
it, it seems to me that the progressive movement is just kind of grabs on to everything and then just holds it as a group. And uh, it just seems to get worse and worse, at least this this version of of what's happening. Uh, and I'm well, I'm concerned yeah. that do we have the stuff that hold that held us together uh, in World War Two or in the uh, war uh, against slavery? That's what everyone always wondered. I mean, you look at the, the diary of, of John Adams, you know, back in uh, in, in the early 1770s, and he just said, I, I'm filled with anxiety and dread. We don't have the virtue. We don't have the brains. We don't have the economy. We don't. How can we possibly win this struggle, right? It seemed hopeless to him. And, and that sense of despair as we go through this, this collective rite of passage is the same that we feel in our personal lives, right? When we go through a new and very challenging period. But when we come out, we are transformed. And we're usually transformed from the better. And and that's the positive side of it. Um, William James once wrote a famous, yeah, it was actually a speech he delivered at Sanford University early in the 20th century. It was called The Moral Equivalent of War. And he asked the question, you know, he says, yeah, war is great for, you know, bringing us together as a state and it teaches young people to sacrifice for the community. And he goes through all of its advantages. And he said, could we invent anything else? And he, by the end of the essay, you, you kind of wonder whether he actually believes it's possible. <laughs> but, he, but he asked his audience at one point, does anyone here believe that America, w- would you have wished that the Civil War had never happened? kind of an interesting question back then, because, of course, a lot of the people Civil War are still in the audience, right? And he he answers his own question. He said, I'm sure that none of you would have wished the Civil War had never happened because we could not imagine the sense of progress, the sense of nationalism, the industrialism, you know, everything that's brought us together, made us a dynamic nation, had the Civil War not happened, right? It's kind of an interesting statement he made back then in 1906. And and yet then he asked the question, does anyone want such a thing to happen again? And he says, I'm sure almost none of all of you right. would say no. Right? right. And but isn't that the same way we feel about our personal lives? If yes. you ask do, do would you wish that some traumatic event, I don't care what it is, maybe you you lost a maybe a divorce, you lost a spouse, you lost your business, I don't care what it is. But you ask people, would they wish that it never have happened? And on reflection, they'll probably say, no, I became a better person. I became a wiser person. I became a deeper person because of it. And I think it's much the same for us collectively, Glenn. So that is really hopeful. And I, I you know, I love your book um, because I, I am filled with hope and I am filled with hope for the younger generations. Um, uh, but I can't get past this. What makes us different than Germany? As I'm looking at the German, you know, starting at World War One, what they went through and demoralized. And I mean, many of the same seeds are happening. Uh, and I don't know, you know, left or right. It, it doesn't matter. It's wrong on both sides. Um, right. how, how do we. What gives you the hope or what 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 is different about us than than they were? I mean, they were well, people, I, too, and a republic. 
I, you know, look, I believe in our national culture and I look at our track record, which historically has been very successful. And I, I would say this, that when you talk about Germany and Japan or, or even Korea coming out of the last fourth turning, America played a huge role right. in setting them on a better course. And I think it's interesting, Glenn, that you look back over the last 10 years, you know, in Iraq and Afghanistan, and everyone's saying, you can't build nations. There's no such thing as nation building. Well, as I recall, in the last fourth turning, America did a pretty darn good job. I mean, look at those nations and what they became. I mean, they were certainly different. And it, and it was largely due to our occupation and our guidance. I mean, I hate to say it, but uh, the post-war era would have been very different for all of us, all of our generations, had we not produced a better world in the wake of, of, of you know, the, the A-bomb, right? Um, and I think we did do the right thing, and I think we did produce a better world. I am uh, I'm glad to talk to you, and I would love to have you in for a podcast because there's so much more to cover. Uh, there is a lot. Yeah. We could even talk more about Kondratiev because he's an old, uh, he's an old uh, hero of mine. So, oh, really? Yeah, there's a lot oh, about. good. Um, well, let's, uh, if we can, let's schedule something uh, sooner rather than later, because I think your voice is, is so important and is, again, as I said at the beginning, has played a, a huge role in my understanding and my hanging on to hope, quite honestly. So thank you for that. Thanks, Glenn. You Great bet. to be on your show. You bet. Neil Howe, he is the uh, uh, the author of The Fourth Turning is Here. Uh, he's written several books. Fourth Turning is the one that's probably the most famous. That and uh, uh, Generations that he wrote uh, early on. But his new book is The Fourth Turning is Here, a must read. Back in just a second, if, uh, if you're pretty much like everybody else, you probably like to just Always get into your car and start the ignition and not have to worry about anything. You know, just go on your merry way. I guess there are those that are like, come on, don't start. Unfortunately, your car has other plans from time to time. You absolutely have no idea when something bad is going to happen. It never happens at a good time. Never. I don't care how much money you have. You're never like, oh, what a great time for the car to break down. And I just wanted to spend money fixing it. I want you to enroll in Car Shield because you'll get a protection plan that starts as low as $100 a month. It's flexible month-to-month coverage. Your choice of an ASE certified mechanic, 24-7 coast-to-coast roadside assistance, complimentary towing, rental car options, all of that. But it is also, like I said, flexible month-to-month. There's no long-term contract. And Car Shield administrators will handle all of the paperwork and the repairs. So... Maybe most importantly at all, the um, uh, the whole inflation thing that we're all facing right now. CarShield offers a, a price lock guarantee. Your price will never go up, no matter how many claims you file. It will never go up, no matter how many miles you're putting on your car. CarShield, get them today. Lock in the price. It's a medical and catastrophic medical insurance for your car. CarShield.com. It's 800-227-6100. 800-227-6100. CarShield.com slash Beck. Join the conversation. 888-727-BECK. The Glenn Beck Program.
Hey, a couple of program notes. Uh, congratulations to Jason Whitlock uh, for Fearless. You know, Jason came on uh, because he's more than sports, but he also is driven by sports. And we wanted to make sure that we had a kind of some sports. Uh, you know, I a lot of people say, Glenn, you're enough. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Your deep sports authority. Knowledge of sports. Yeah. Really um, does But shine. then we brought on this Brett Favory, mm-hmm. Favari, mm-hmm. Uh, whatever. And uh, Warren Sack going to be joining Blaze <laughs> TV's uh, Jason hey. Whitlock's Fearless every week. Brett Favre. Oh, Warren is that Sack? how you say it? Yeah. 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 It's a little bit of different pronunciation yeah. to, uh, you know, Hall yeah. of Fame level players uh, coming on mm. to uh, break down the NFL. That'd be great. Yeah. That's weird. I'm in the Hall of Fame, too. I didn't remember them. You're in being the Radio a, Hall of Fame, and even that's uh, highly questionable. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, it does not seem like it should have occurred. Yeah. Um, but, They'll pretty much let anybody in. It's not the same yeah. with uh, Mr. Favor. Right. Favor, yeah. yeah, Mr. Favor, <laughs> he was able to accomplish quite a bit to get in. Mm. So Yeah. yeah. I've, I've never heard of Mr. Uh, Brett Favor uh, before. Mm-hmm. Never heard his... Never heard that. It'd be great to uh, yeah. to listen to their breakdowns, though. I know yeah. you won't know what they're talking about, but it will be fascinating. No, too. I mean, I know, I know. Obviously, I know these two uh, and uh, Jason Whitlock. It it is going to be some great coverage. If you're a sports fan, mm-hmm. me not so much. No, but uh, I can recognize that'll be good. Well, if you're not a sports fan too, you could uh, listen today to the Megan Kelly show. I'll <gasps> be on there today, talking about all the news of the day as well. Wow. So I invite you to join. And uh, I will try to just 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 drop in a couple anti Glenn mentions. I try no, to do that every time I'm on. I just don't to, think that's it's just what the audience wants. I feel I don't, I don't, think I don't it they is don't say it, but I feel I it. The Glenn Beck Program.